Hello, and welcome to the Screaming Bloody Oranges podcast. I am your host, John Rosenthal, here with fellow host, Ted Newbel. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Today, we're joined by guest host, Brandon Elkins of An Evening Redness. Hi. And uh, today, we are interviewing uh, members of Conate, who are about to release, uh, or have released, their new album at this point. Uh, we are with Alan Dubin and James Plotkin. Hells. <laughs> hey, everyone. Rain and hell. Zuh. That's how it always is, right? But uh, so, gosh, to be cruel, it's uh, it's coming out. It's real. Uh, how the hell did this happen? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been a long time. I'm just yeah, it has. I was contacted uh, by Tim. Uh, well, I've always been in touch with Tim uh, after the band split, but um, he had gotten in touch saying that uh, him and Stephen had you know laid down a bunch of recordings and uh wanted me to check it out and see if uh, we could actually start work on a new conate album and uh you know it had been a long time i think everybody was probably interested in maybe doing something with it and uh you know he sent me a a couple of cds actually steven sent me a few cds of um you know the unedited recordings that they had done um at oregon and in uh in england and uh, you know, it just, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have any problem sort of connecting it to, you know, the past sound and also envisioning sort of what it, it could become. Um, Alan needed a little bit of convincing, but, uh, I think once, you know, once started to piece together the recordings and, you know, sort of separate, the, you know, the cream from the rest of the the rest of the stuff, it was, you know, started to come together. And I think at that point, Dubin was finally on board and, uh, you know, and then we just went about it in typical, typical Conate fashion was, which is sort of, uh, you know, very like stage oriented approach where, you know, one stage is arranging things and then the next stage is everyone coming up with their respective parts and then, you know, constantly revisiting the compositions, changing things. And, you know, it just became sort of a, a work in progress for got a number of years. It took a while to put together because of uh, everyone's schedules and then the pandemic hit and, you know, that really sort of put a wrench in everything. So uh, instead of it just being a process of a, maybe a couple of years, it, it, it became a little bit longer than that. But, um, you know, it gave us the time and space to sort of really – you know, cultivated into something, something that uh, surpassed even what we had hoped it would become. Well, it's, it's a peculiar album. Like, I, I feel like, you know, while it does kind of follow what y'all were doing with Clean Hands Go Foul, the uh, the, the sparser kind of, I, I don't want to say cleaner because it, it's still a very dirty sounding album. But uh, was that your intent to kind of continue with that specific sound? Or was this just kind of a happenstance thing? Yeah, it wasn't really an intent. Um, I mean, that was something that we were experimenting with towards the end of the band's, uh, you know, initial existence. Uh, and, you know, there were any number of directions had we stayed together that we could have taken. Uh, that was definitely one that we were all pretty interested in. So, you know, it's I guess it's just natural that it became part of this sort of revised version of Conate and... Uh, I mean, you know, improvisation in general can take you into any number of directions. And I think that's something that everyone in Conate has an interest in. And uh, it just opens everything up to, you know, just 
keeping ourselves interested and and surprised really which is always a bonus i mean you can you can write music with intent but there's there's a very specific type of uh of enjoyment that i get anyway out of music when you either surprise yourself or just you know come up with things that you just absolutely did not expect to begin with and i don't think you know we were interested in completely repeating ourselves and um while you know this album also does have some similarities to even earlier the first two albums there's you know there's some parts that are you know that's a little bit of a callback to those as well not just capture and release or uh, right. clean clean hands go foul yeah i don't hear much of capture and release at all in this yeah, new record i think like what what you're saying it, it definitely goes back to the the first two records more than in that particular era just some of the rawness and some of the the just the vis the visceral feeling of those two records i did i did notice that in the recording or maybe i'm imagining it but it seems that it's very especially with alan's vocals it's very intimate like it's very right up front in a lot of spots um was that intentional or i mean how how did that go with the engineering uh, i mean i i like it when when alan's lyrics are completely intelligible and you know he's sort of front and center it's a you know it's a narrative that that really sort of drives uh, a certain mood it's not like overt violence it's uh it's kind of i don't know it, it just it puts me in a in a dark place that i actually kind of welcome <laughs> but yeah. i might want to want to extend on that a little bit it's it's definitely a, a nice um contrast and just the way the vocals cut through in the mix I, th I think it works i think it just gets into your brain when you listen to it to me for, be for better or for worse yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah probably for worse <laughs> is is this something like do you guys have to get in a certain headspace to do kind of like was it easy to slip back into that now after you know such a <laughs> extended period of not doing it for me it was it was somewhat easy you know um as far as the vocals or as far as the lyrics i mean it was good timing i was in uh i was in a state of um i guess i was kind of angry at my living situation at the time and i had insomnia i was really <laughs> kind of like on edge and pissed off so when it was time to write the lyrics you know <laughs> It was perfect um yeah it's a good that's a great bad place to be yeah, even, even <laughs> yeah. before i started you know jim's like i hope these uh i hope the lyrics on this is really just angry and pissed off and i'm like yep here we go it's not really going to be like no. the electric company or anything i don't think <laughs> <laughs> i mean when you consider uh you know the general global situation over the past three four five years i mean there, there's a lot of untapped anger and aggression that i mean i was personally glad to get off my chest in a more constructive way you know yeah no doubt um do you think how do you think i mean i, I don't even know if you give a shit but how do you how do you feel like this album is going to be received in this kind of like environment i guess you know it's it's been a long time and yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's totally unpredictable, really. Uh, a lot has changed in in music and 
and just like what's acceptable uh, in music and society since the band initially existed. I mean, there's there's any number of themes in this record that if someone wanted, you know, someone had too much time on their hands and wanted to sort of grandstand in some way, they could probably latch onto and and give us a bunch of grief for. Um, like, I don't really know what what's acceptable and what's not. I mean, is uh, you know, fantasy violence still is it still okay to to cover those themes in music? I don't know. I don't, right. I don't know if heavy music like this still has a place. Um, I don't really know any of that. I mean, I don't. I obviously don't care. But uh, it'll be interesting to see I, how that kind of thing unfolds. I don't think you guys could have released the video for Dead now and not right, gotten right. an absolutely enormous amount of blowback. Yeah, so. for sure. There's there's a bunch of lyrics I think uh, in the early records too that if you know if enough people had heard it, uh, granted, I mean it would have it would have uh, upset someone to the point where they had to, I don't know, devote some of some of their own time to trying to squash it. Yeah, I'd say that the, the, the lyrics on the new record are probably similar in that way. Goddamn do-gooders. Yeah. I'll eat them. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of bands do have like a lot of gruesome vocals these days. It's just kind of, um, when it comes to Con 8, it really feels more like visceral and, I don't know, legitimate Personal. than a lot of like, you know, the, the campy stuff that's out there. Yeah, for sure. That being said, you know, for, for the lyrics, I always try to throw in just a couple, really, you know, not much, but there's there's got to be a little uh, tongue in cheek, um, lyrics in there, and I think I, I've done that with this album too. That's the fun stuff. Yeah, your your lyrics especially have always kind of inspired me because they're 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 effective and sparse and and poetic at the same time. Like, um, I hope you don't go out and kill no. anybody. <laughs> Not, yeah. not yet. I mean, You're inspired. I got, I got bills to pay and shit. It's, um, the, I hear you. you know, is that how, you know, is that, uh, intentionally something that you bring to this? Is it different than when you write lyrics for NAR or any other projects? Like, um, well, like I said, when, you know, writing lyrics for, I guess, Con 8, but specifically this album, I was, you know, I had someone in my, uh, in my house, my living uh, quarters abode that uh just caused me a lot of grief and i was just on edge all the time and i just i don't know i just used that inspiration to write really vicious uh words and uh you know there's a lot of metaphors in uh in these songs and you shouldn't really take the uh, basic storyline, what's on top, is just, you know, I mean, you can, but underneath the storylines here, there's just metaphors, which uh, you can uh, kind of decide on what they mean to you when you listen to them. Um, but yeah, I, want, I really wanted this stuff to be uh, vicious. Well, I think, I think you did a pretty good job. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> what I always found peculiar about Con 8 was while the music is very brutal and slow and I guess hypnotic in a way it's it's uh it's memorable in like a like an anti-catchy kind of way like i think about um on uh, on the first track alan when you do that how can they do this to me that particular line it just it sticks and it's the same with some of the synthesis that you do james 
so like how do you approach the songwriting in a way where you know it's going to like last good question um i don't know that we really put any uh any any direct sort of energy into like making memorable songs i think they probably just come together like that but i also think that has a lot to do with again the lyrics and the phrasing of the vocals they sort of act like that hook that can i mean even from my perspective when performing this stuff live it's always sort of the vocals that anchor everything down as far as where we are in the song it's really easy to get lost in you know like say one one verse that lasts like i don't know three and a half four minutes or something it's really easy to lose your spot and uh the vocals and lyrics always you know i was always able to use them to pull me like back into a song if i was losing my spot um, but it also provides like, uh, the phrasing is sort of, uh, it's a composition in itself. It provides sort, not a rhythm, but like a structure, I think, to the songs that, that, uh, that make them memorable. I mean, you know, the, the riffs are very long, uh, in themselves, things are drawn out. It's like, yeah, how do you remember a song that has, you know, a guitar and bass sustaining for 15 seconds? you know, before they actually get back to the riff. And it's, you know, it's just a, I think it's a byproduct of the, just the structure and, and overall composition of the music, really. I mean, there, there is structure in the music, but the, the riffs and the, the, uh, the sections are so drawn out, it is easy to get lost. Um, so I know Alan always used to joke about us having hooks and stuff and, and it, it was just sort of an ongoing joke in the band where Dubin would be like, this is the, this is the hook in this song. And it's just like, it sounds absurd. It sounds, you know, pretty standard when you're talking about any type of music, but then when you compare it, well, when you insert it into a Connate song, it's just, it's like, there, there's no fucking hooks in this. What are you talking about? Yeah. No one can scream alone quite, quite like Alan. So yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, um, you know, like having the, almost you know, the, the, the way that you ended up putting this together, I guess, James, like the, are these, these songs designed songs? If you guys get some big festival invite and are going to go play them live. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're cutting out a bit, but I think, are you asking if, if they're hard to figure out how to, or do we have to actually relearn the songs to play live? Um, yeah, no, you were right. Uh, it, it is, you know, with the resequencing, are you going to have to basically go back and relearn all these songs if you guys get some big festival invite and are going to go yeah. play them live? I mean, we are putting together tentative live plans for 2024. So, um, yeah, it's going to be, there's going to have to be some dedicated rehearsals uh, before any shows because that's that's basically the way we've always worked is putting together the songs for a recording and then learning them for a live situation. Um, other than Capture and Release, which Tim and Steve were composing at a, at the rehearsal space at the time. But, um, you know, it, it's... I I like to work in that way in certain scenarios. In the case of Conate, it always meant that the live versions of the songs would be different uh, in certain ways. 
um, which number one keeps everybody interested and engaged, but number two also, you know, um, it opens it up a little bit for, I mean, any, every band does recordings and then after, after the fact they think, Oh, I wish, you know, we had done that a little differently, or maybe we should have put something else here. And it's like, you know, the live scenario is a way for us to kind of mess around with that, with that way of working. Um, the songs, <laughs> all of our records, when we would uh, perform them live, seem to get even slower and longer <laughs> than than the records. Which, like, uh, I remember uh, putting together a live release and listening to a version of Pieces of Quiet that we played live maybe two, three years after the recording. And it was, I think it was like three times as slow as the actual record. Shit. When, when I listened to the first record, I had to put together masters for reissues recently. And I couldn't believe how fast the record was, which again, in reference to Con 8, sounds like a pretty ridiculous statement, <laughs> but it, it almost it seemed fast yeah, to me, but um, you know, speed metal. <laughs> yeah. Just like speed metal. Right. But, you know, putting together, you know, a live set will sort of, you know, it'll it'll take the songs to even like a, a, a subsequent level that they, you know, they'll change a bit, um, maybe slow down, maybe not, uh, you know, but it's, I mean, one of the things that we have to do in order to keep this band going is keep ourselves interested and engaged. And that's, you know, one of the things that, that keeps that whole thought process going so this album is kind of a, a surprise release in a way like i know you have the the twitter account the to be cruel twitter account that you've been using but for the most part this is like a like a if you know you know kind of situation so what made you want to release it like this well i mean it, it took so long to put this together and everybody you know not everybody everybody in the world has been asking oh, <laughs> is there going to be a reunion um I really missed that band. It's a shame they didn't, you know, keep going. So I guess just the just the thought of it being a surprise, you know, with nobody knowing that it's going to happen. It's just, I don't know, it seems kind of fun to keep it a surprise. People are going to be shocked, you know. Anytime you could shock anybody, even just a little bit, you know. Everybody was pretty, you know, pretty, uh, not cautious, but... Well, yeah, I mean, we were all pretty cautious while we were working on this. Um, you know, it took a while. It took a while during during the creation of this record for us to get to a point where we were like, you know, it's finally coming together. You know, definitely going to pursue this uh, as an album and possibly further. But um, yeah, we, we, we didn't want to announce, you know, anything before the album, you know, before we knew for sure that this is going to be something really great. Uh, to us yeah i mean i've i've also been basically against reunions of any of any kind um unless the band is doing something that they weren't doing before they're actually taking it a step further or in a different direction otherwise it's just you know let's get together to play some shows of 20 year old material to make money which is like i have absolutely no interest in uh, I don't think anybody else in the band does either. I feel like this is not exactly a reunion because, you know, this was always in our psyches, always floating around in the back of our minds, you know, just to, you know, 
eventually, hopefully, maybe something will happen. So it's more like, you know, did break up, but it was more like a hiatus, I guess, at this point, since we're continuing now. And uh, I think we're we're really happy with with this uh, album. So, so buttons. <laughs> I actually just listened to it for the for the first time today. So like. I uh, I gave it a, an hour and however much this morning to just kind of soak it in. Um, it it really feels it feels like restrained violence to me. Interesting. Like um, that that kind of you know it's not outright aggressive music. I mean it's it's heavy and slow, but it's um, it's not sun. You know what I mean? It's not overpowering and. How do you, I mean, I guess, do you, do you, how do you feel about people's reaction to the new stuff versus the the older stuff? Well, well it's mean, interesting at the time of this recording, right, right now, um, no one has really heard it yet. So we haven't gotten any feedback other than, you know, our uh, close group of friends and, and colleagues and whoever else is working on, on the album, the record label and everything. Um, so... That's kind of hard to answer. I, you know, you haven't received feedback. Sure. I like it. <laughs> That's good. My mom <laughs> can't stand it. Oh, she had, she didn't hear. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we haven't got, got any feedback yet. So, do you demo vocals in your apartment or are you just the, the crazy screaming neighbor? What was that? I said, do you demo your vocals in your apartment or are you just the. The crazy screaming yeah, neighbor I go in, in your the backyard, and you know, just yell "shut the fuck up" and trying to do vocals. <laughs> yeah, what led you guys to working with uh, Sacred Bones for this one? Uh, one of the things that we had trouble with when we were putting this together was figuring out where it might actually fit. Um, you know, a lot of the labels that we used to work with are either gone or just, uh, you know, on some other trip these days. It's uh, Seems like a lot of uh, a lot of record labels in general are are real clicky. I mean, they have they have their roster. They don't like to venture out too much or try different things. But um, you know, Sacred Bones just seems like uh, a good label for things that don't sort of conform to one specific scene or genre. I mean, it seems like they have a pretty good diversity as far as artists go um for sure you know they're they're good they seem like they're interested in marketing things in a you know in a a sort of exciting or fun way i mean i uh i try to stay out of label stuff as much as possible these days but um you know we really had a hard time thinking of a place where it would fit and uh but that you know that was that was sort of a no-brainer i know um you know some of us know the people at at uh, sacred bones from other other work and other projects and uh i mean as my experience with them has always been great i mean they've always been really really good to work with um they really care about what they do i mean it's uh it's a no-brainer as far as i'm concerned cool yeah 
there was a Q&A that came with the, the press materials for this. And there was a question about minimalism. And I really enjoyed Stephen's answer because he said that minimalism has nothing to do with Conate. And I feel like that's a word that people use quite a bit when they try to describe your music. So without using minimalism, how would you describe Conate? Maximalism. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite. Murder rule. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, there isn't really much of a conscious effort to do specific things in Conate. I mean, it sounds like it would be because it's such a defined sound. And uh, but I mean, you can you can make parallels between, you know, all kinds of, of genres of music or styles of composition. And, you know, that there are plenty of plenty of adjectives that you can use that work. Um I mean, sure, there are parts in our, of our music that are minimalist in nature, but it wasn't like, you know, uh, an artistic intent, like, you know, for example, like the, you know, minimalist composers of the 60s. It was, you know, it was uh, probably a very strict uh, set of rules that they would impose on their own work. And there really isn't any of that involved in Conate. I mean, when we're when when we're letting things ring out for 20 seconds it's not because you know we're we're purposely restraining ourselves to be minimalist it's because you know maybe we love the sound of the amp crackling or the way you know the multiple guitar cabinets sort of move through the sound moves through the air it's like it's more detail oriented i think than than minimalist so it's really just exploring all different types of composition and just becoming immersed in the actual sound that we're making and enjoying the the small details that people just take for granted or or don't really notice speaking to that a little bit um james what what kind of uh what kind of gear we're using for the synthesis on this album i i don't think you were pulling out the music easel or anything at least i didn't notice yeah. it but. No, um, I'm considering using one live, but that's going to be another another hurdle to jump over. But um, a lot of it was uh, like, you know, classic East Coast stuff like Moog synthesizers. Uh, the more sort of reserved tonal stuff is, is Moog's mainly. Um, and then there's some modular Eurorack format stuff in there as well, uh, like... Like using uh, the stuff from Instruo, uh, Scottish oh, yeah. designer. Um, uh, I like some of the make noise stuff, um, and there are, I think there's some random stuff going on. Uh, I like the Schwemann modules a lot. Nice. Um, so it was basically, I think two tracks probably have just Moog and one track the second track is mostly modular stuff but uh that's that's another aspect of the band that um that keep that's going to keep me really interested in a live situation because i don't really want to use pre-recorded um files or tapes or anything so i will have to come up with a live setup where i can do everything i need to do with hardware and that should be fun yeah sounds like an adventure yeah for sure and another easy way to sort of like I was talking about taking tracks in different directions live by, um, you know, expanding on them or changing things. It's like having, having the electronics there to be able to just, you know, sort of 
experiment a bit in a live situation. That's that's something I find particularly interesting. Con eight covers uh, Mort Garson. What's that? I said Con eight covers Mort Garson. Do some Plantasia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. Uh, so I wanted to talk about some of the older material for a little bit because, like, we've been talking about to, to be cruel for a while. But um, I I noticed that uh, kind of progressing across your albums that uh, the lyrics, uh, Alan's lyrics, uh, there's the element of paranoia becomes a little more apparent. And I don't know if it's like different, like life cycles or anything like that. But um, I, I wanted to ask about like the the paranoia in your lyrics and like what you draw from to to kind of capture this very unique kind of mental state um that's an interesting question um i don't know if there's any rhyme or reason you know when i sit down to write lyrics um sometimes um if i'm in a bad mood or a good mood i don't know how that affects what i'm what i'm writing i just uh, usually start off with a phrase and that could be inspired by the day i'm having or just just anything really um, and then I build around that. I get a storyline in my head and just, um, kind of, I don't know, just go from there. It didn't really answer your question <laughs> no. at all. <laughs> no, I just, uh, well, I just, I noticed specifically on the new album kind of going from, you know, like, like, uh, the very destructive early lyrics to something a little more inward, uh, you know, kind of reacting to your surroundings as opposed to destroying your surroundings. Uh, it, it is an interesting type of kind of um, evolution in your lyric writing. Right. And uh, for this new one, I mean, obviously you said you were in a, a specific kind of living situation that inspired it. Um, do, is this something that you've noticed? Is this something that like you've kind of consciously built on top of to kind of go from inward, uh, from outward to inward? Yeah, or? I, su- I suppose that was more in my head. Um, if that makes sense when, when writing these lyrics and, um, yeah. and like I said before, there's a lot, a lot of metaphors and just things you can pick out, um, that's under the surface of kind of like the main lyrics. You can just listen to it and take the lyrics as is, it's just some, you know, just fucked up, depraved, uh, murderous kind of thing. And, uh, someone who kind of is like looking for revenge and is just as envy, all that kind of stuff. But underneath there's a lot more going on if you, you know, and I'd rather have, you know, rather than explain what the metaphors are uh, mean to me, I'd rather have people just, you know, listen to it, maybe come up with their own um, ideas and maybe put themselves (laughs) into the, into the stories that are, you know, in, in the, the words. Yeah, I mean, like that track commuted, that's, it's about a little bit more than just getting to work on the subway. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's, I, I'd say that there's plenty of, um, of information in the lyrics to commuted that probably offer a glimpse into Dubin's brain with yeah. regarding humanity in general. I, uh, I've, I've imaginated, uh, imaginated, that's a nice word. Imaginated. Uh, you imaginated <laughs> that imaginated. word. <laughs> I got plenty of imaginated uh, <laughs> violence, you know. So, yeah. Uh, the the idea of like putting yourself into these metaphors and putting yourself into these lyrics kind of ties into how I feel about kind of droning doom metal, where it's very interactive, especially live. Do you want this album to be interactive like that? Yeah, sure. 
everybody stands still and headbang. Not not actually necessary for me, but you know that's I you know I personally when I'm listening to music I like to somehow almost get involved in it. You know, sometimes I just want to be enveloped by whatever's you know going on in the song. I mean, it's good gun cleaning <laughs> music. I've done it. <laughs> 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 at practice in my uh I mean bathroom James do you uh like after Alan writes the lyrics like does that feed back into what you write or like what you're composing or like separate processes yeah no um they're definitely intertwined I mean uh you know one of the things that uh that Alan lets me get on with is sort of grouping things together or spreading things out a bit and um it's like I mean, I'll come up with arrangements, and once I have the actual vocal recordings with the lyrics, uh, everything starts to sort of come together in my head. Um, I mean, yeah, one way to look at these compositions is they're almost, you know, they're almost, I mean, they're sort of story-driven from Alan's lyrics, and uh, even though, like, the, the sort of, the writing happens in reverse it's you know when i when i get get the lyrics and we record vocals is is when everything really starts to make sense to me and oftentimes uh compositions will be adjusted to sort of suit the not just the lyrics but the the delivery of the vocals so they're they're all very deeply intertwined and um i mean i'm personally i'm very I'm uh, very inspired by, you know, the the lyrics. Once I, um, you know, once everything's in play, uh, you know, they'll give me ideas. Uh, I like to work with the sound of the vocals, and just not just have it be a, a voice, uh, you know, uh, that's reciting an idea, but also just as a a sort of a point of you know a point of focus but also a point of there it's like that's where the human interaction is and uh, it just becomes something much more than just a song to me once once that all comes together is is this the first album i mean yeah this is the first album you guys have recorded like this where you know like tim's in germany i think still or or you know and and steven's in paris and, and you guys are in new york um I found a quote from uh, James. I don't give a fuck about democracy in a band. Um, is is that kind of attitude still there now, where you're kind of you know you guys aren't in the same room together and you're making this album in, in these pieces? You know, do you still feel like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll always feel like that. Uh, I have to admit, um, I've made uh, many, many more concessions uh, these days than I have in the past. Uh, you know, everybody's. Everybody wants their ideas to be heard and, um, often by age. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, you know, everybody put, I think a lot more thought and effort into putting this, this album together than in the past, mainly because, you know, we had the time and space and distance to do that. And back in the day, it was more of, you know, when you're younger and you're sort of volatile, it's like, you want to, sort of you know surge forward with your work and and you're not as patient and not as reflective as what's in, in what's going on at the time so you know definitely age and 
and just the abundance of ideas that were being tossed around for this. But I, uh, you know, I still think that if if someone's presenting a shit idea, it needs to be thrown out for the sake of the music. Um, I I don't give a fuck about people's egos in a band. I don't give a fuck about like it's my turn to write a song. It's not your fucking turn to write a song. If you write a good song, then it's your turn to write a song. If it's, <laughs> if it's got content that everybody is into and that actually works within your band, then that's fucking great. But if it's garbage, you know, there's no reason you need to use it. You throw it out and all right, well, come up with something better. And I mean, with this record, there were certain things that were thrown out and they were replaced with things that, that just pushed the record to to a different level, in my opinion. And it was the, you know, it wasn't just the insistence on doing things differently at times. It was also uh, the the sort of, you know, the ability to give people the space to come up with alternatives and and by like maybe, um, you know, just. I think inspiring each other to just push it to to the next level. And there's really no point of us even doing this record unless we were trying to push things to the next level. I mean, nobody wants to hear an angry fucking record by 50 year old dudes that don't really mean it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Get it right. Do you guys have like, I'm, I'm sure you don't even think about it, but like I do have that feeling sometimes when when heavy bands that are getting up there, I don't want to say getting up there because it's not like you guys are fucking senior citizens or anything. But again, you know, you've been around for a while, you've been making music for a long time. Like, do you ever fear that somebody's going to be like these guys are just grumpy old men? You know, like I'm going to say we were. I think all of us were grumpy young men, so you know, not much has changed. <laughs> not much has changed. <laughs> no. No, I mean that there, there is something to be said for all the, the you know the comforts that that you achieve when you get yourself a career and you spend some time away from something and you know uh, I can certainly say that we're probably all more thoughtful than we were as young adults, but um, and it could just be a product of our you know our environment, but uh, there's plenty of shit to be angry about in 2023. And, uh, I mean, if you're living in America, there's plenty of things to want to, you know, that you can easily be sent into a, a murderous rage in, in 2023. So it's like, I think if you're not sort of a grumpy or pissed off person at this point, then you're probably not paying any fucking attention. Kind of somehow got more relevant over time. Yeah. I mean, possibly I, I think if uh you know i was talking before about like i'm not even sure if there's a place for this kind of music anymore but you know uh, i mean it there there should be because yeah i mean i don't hear a lot of angry music these days a genuinely angry music i don't hear a lot of uh you know a, a lot of pissed off people i see online i see uh, amounts of like toxic positivity that make me want to fucking put my fist through the screen. So it's, you know, it's, you know, just being real. You can't be real and not be angry about something. Well put. Toxic positivity. Thanks. I fucking love that. You should trademark that, man. 
Well, it exists, you know, it exists, it, it exists everywhere. And put it on a t-shirt. You know, you know, people are afraid of voicing their true feelings because they don't want to get beaten down by, you know, positivity. And it's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking about anything in particular, but I just notice that there's like, you know, there's a, there's just a lot of, a, a lot of, um, I don't know. I don't want to say oppression because that just sounds like grumpy old man. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous position. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I mean, you know, there's, in my experience, negativity can be just as constructive as, as being positive, if not more so, because if you just, you know, if you're just going to go along with things that you're not totally down with to avoid being negative, well, then you're not making anything any better. Yeah, fuck that. There's something to be said about that for sure, because like in, in like what Ted and I do, like negative reviews have kind of fallen out of vogue, as it were, because people just complain about them when they happen, because people just want to be validated and read nice things about what they like. Yeah. But there, sure. there is totally I mean, truth to what you're saying, James. We're like, you know, yeah. th there is something to be said about like having negative feelings about something and not just putting positive feelings out there. And I think that Kanye definitely captures that negative vibe that's been missing. I hope so. Yeah. I, I think it'll, it, it, it'll, uh, <laughs> it'll fit right in. <laughs> it's 2023 as it is, as it were. You know what the world needs now? A new Kanye album. Damn right. <laughs> Absolutely. I ought to say when uh when Monica, uh your PR person, had uh emailed me about this, I did a spit take. I spit <laughs> on my computer screen. I was drinking coffee and spit. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I mean I'd be, we've been pretty vocal in the past about not not reuniting for any reasons, but you know, that, that sort of wears off pretty quickly. It's like, it just has to be, it has to be worth it. It has to be for the right reasons, I think. Agreed. No, and uh, I think this definitely like encapsulates like everything that you've been going for, but definitely takes it that next level that you kind of, you've been progressing, you know, since, uh, since the first album. And uh, I, I think it's oh. well worth it and well worth a reunion. Great. Thanks. Thanks. Glad you feel that way. Well, um, does anyone else have anything else they want to ask or? <laughs> Uh, just uh, just wondering, like, uh, you know, right now, like, as far as like digital distribution, there's basically nothing for Kanye. You think guys are gonna change that, or are gonna keep it as it is, kind of like on the down low? It was all kind of taken down while this, you know, was happening. Um, all gonna go back up. Yeah, there's gonna be comprehensive digital distribution happening shortly. Are you doing any vinyl re-releases? Those as well. Hell yeah. Uh, I really like those ones from a few years ago, the the really heavy cardstock ones. Those were really nice. Yeah, Hydrahead did a great job with those reissues with the bonus the bonus twelve inches and everything. Well, uh, well, these vinyl reissues, I'm guessing Sacred Bones is doing them. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna do the back catalog. Cool. The they're not gonna be deluxe or like anything like that. We're basically going to do vinyl reissues that are sort of fruit of the original releases. Um, I know there were different versions of things along the way, and and uh, some of the vi original vinyl releases didn't include tracks that would end up like on a twelve inch or like you know a bonus track or whatever. But uh, we're gonna try to keep the the vinyl reissues uh, true to their original release forms. Awesome, very cool. I'm always a big fan of like replica style reissues. So that's really nice. Cool. What was it like working with working with uh, Alan Duchesne for the mastering? Uh, Alan, man, 
I don't know what I could possibly say about that guy. He's just, he knows what he's doing. He's got this, he moved his operation to, uh, to Bear Mountain. So it was like, you know, a ridiculously serene setting. Perfect. Um, I know he he worked on uh, the Phantom Smasher record I did on Ipecac about oh, yeah. 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, I've been sort of wanting to, to work with him on projects since, but I've never really been in a position to you know, bring anything up to there, up there that, you know, made sense to have, profe- uh, you know, mastered in a, in a suite like that. I mean, especially being a mastering engineer myself, it's like I tend to take care of most of those things for my own projects, but it's, you know, this is a, this, the Conate record was a project that sort of, we wanted to involve other sets of ears and other studios on. And I think it, it really helped sort of, open up the sound a little bit more and maybe make it a little bit less claustrophobic. Yeah, he uh, he definitely knows what he's doing. Um, you know, I was I mentioned to John earlier that like, you know, you guys ca- kind of like a heavy hitters on the recording here. Uh, Colin recording the stuff that you guys did in New York and then mixing with Randall. Um, you know, were these intentional choices or these like buddies you guys yeah. call them, like, hey, can you <laughs> give me No, give me I mean, it's really sort of an excuse to to work with people that we've wanted to work with for a long time and um you know steve steve really wanted to do this with randall i know they've had a really long uh successful history working together um you know we were able to do a, a bunch of recording with colin who's you know he's been sort of a a pillar in the new york music scene literally um, involved in everything on the east yeah. coast yeah I mean, it's, you know, it was just, uh, we're very fortunate to have so many capable people uh, that are, you know, happy to work with us on this stuff. Yeah, and, and it really, you know, it, all that talent, like, it really makes the, it really makes the end result shine in my eyes. Like, it's just, yeah. uh, you know, it, it it sounds like a Conate album. I mean, I don't think the four of you guys could get together and make anything that doesn't really sound like a Conate album. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> like uh, it sounds um intentionally personal i guess um from my perspective the claustrophobic and that you know it was what was the end result you were shooting for with that with the whole process i guess pretty much as it is i mean definitely better to have more ears on on your work than less and especially if they're ears from people that you trust I mean, the whole yeah. way it came together just everything all the elements just I don't know they just gelled i mean even going back to you know the first capture section of, of the music of, of just guitar and drums when i first heard it i'm like this is you know the guitar playing the sound is great the drums are you know really heavy just the capture was great and all the you know different little sections where it sounded like you know this is this could be something i wasn't convinced until a little further down the road but you know right away it's like this is you know pretty beyond heavy and just well done and as the pro as you know everything started coming together a little more and more um i don't know it's just everything gelled perfectly right down to going in with uh colin and you know the mastering and randall just everything just it just fell into place it'd take a long time though yeah it was meant to it be. was meant to be someone's got to do it <laughs> right <laughs> there we go 
Well, shit. Uh, you know, we've been talking about an hour. I don't want to keep you guys because uh, I'm sure you had dinner or something like that. But uh, I, uh, I wanted to thank you for coming on the Invisible Oranges podcast. And Brandon, thank you for joining us as a guest host. And uh, oh, everyone will be back in uh, two weeks. Totally. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and other streaming services. We'll make a post on our website at www.invisibleoranges.com to accompany the release of each episode. Visit us anytime for more in-depth heavy metal coverage that goes a step above and beyond.